This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi ona tangata o Manawatu. It is a Friday morning, which means we turn our attention to central government. Uh, and on the phone today, MP for Rangatiki and Assistant Speaker of the House, we have Ian McKelvey. Good morning. Morning. That's quite a title, isn't it? And it's, it's growing, yes. Any, any more um, strings to your bow? <laughs> no, not this week. <laughs> um, I haven't been in trouble, so I'm in good order. Well, well, I mean, who's going to put you into trouble now when you're the assistant speaker? Um, you've had a few goes at this now. How's that going? Oh, pretty good, I think. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting thing to do. I think I've done seven hours this week, so it's been a lot this week. Um, we It'll come and go, no doubt. Oh well, we um, we spoke to Tangi Utikeri, member of Parliament for Palmerston North, last week, and uh, it they got somewhat hijacked for about five minutes by just the the general praise that Tangi was uh, lumping on you for uh, uh, handling the 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 job so well. Um, he's particularly admirable of your your fairness throughout the whole proceedings. Oh, he's kind, isn't he? <laughs> Well, I suppose, I suppose I should lay the, the door open for you to reciprocate by saying some nice things about Tangy. Oh, well, I can certainly say some nice things about him. I've said plenty of nice things about him. He does a very good job and he's a very nice man. <laughs> and into horse racing, which I'm sure you approve of as well. He, he is, and he also represents the city pretty well down here. And so I think he, he'll do a good job for Palmerston North. Do you see big things for him? Oh, look, I think it's a funny game, this. Um, you know, you can come in at the right time and everything goes for you. You can come at the wrong time and nothing does. And so, yes, I, I'm sure, you know, given the, you know, the right opportunity for it, at the end of the day, you're reliant on your party being in the right place at the right time, and then you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And I'm sure if his party can get to the right place at the right time, he'll certainly be a major part of that. Very good. Um, let's talk about now. With the one story that we also talked to Tangi about last week was the South African family. Uh, the, the 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 husband, the father of the family, is terminally ill and is desperately trying to get residency uh, for his family. Uh, I understand this is a case that you're you're quite closely associated with. It's in your your electorate. Um, and I think the, the the point that I made with Tangi that it seems that in a country like New Zealand, uh, refusing someone residency on the basis of their weight seems a little old school. Ah, oh, absolutely, and I think I think more particularly so because they've welcomed that family to New Zealand. We've let them live and work here. Uh, they've been part of our community for some time now, and to suddenly say, "Well, no, you can't be one of us," having uh, um, effectively given up your life where you came from to come to New Zealand uh, and be part of our community for quite some time, oh, I think it's very sad. And I, I think, uh, you know, it's not the only case like this we've had in, in, the, in our region, actually. And, 
And I think it's extraordinary, their immigration. I don't think it's so much our settings as the, as the manner in which we treat people. It's just, yeah, I find it extraordinary. Well, I mean, that, that's, that, that was my point uh, a little, I guess. Uh, does our immigration system need an overhaul or at least a, a serious upgrade around how some of these decisions are made? Because no case is black and white, and yet they're being treated like that on a frequent basis. Well, I think we've seen more of it in the last couple of years because of the uh, difficulties of COVID and things like that. But, but I do think our immigration settings need to be seriously looked at. I think our, um, the, the immigration department itself um, is clearly struggling for resource and probably staff, uh, but then uh, who isn't struggling for staff members in New Zealand at the moment? So it is challenging, but I also think that, that yes, we need to take a look at ourselves and uh, just see how we do deal with these things. And I think... You know, the much more common thing in recent times, of course, has been families split by uh, COVID for, for really little reason because we've let other people into the country. So why we couldn't let those people who had family uh, stuck in New Zealand or stuck overseas back in here, I don't know. I guess, I mean, the whole nature of the immigration and, and the, the varying uh, groups of people that are allowed in, when someone gets their decision turned down, it would be very common, I think, to look at the other people being allowed in and going, well, why them and not me? And in this instance, it seems particularly hurtful uh, when the, the government uh, finally get their offer to Australia accepted to bring in, bring across the, the new in, was it new in? Uh, refugees. Um, well, well, no, not new in. They're, they're everything. Yeah. They're, they're from all over the place. But they've basically been detained, and of course they should have the right to, to come here and, and try and build a life. But there just seems to be a disparity. You've got the refugee quotas, you've got skilled migrant quotas, you've got family visas. It just seems rife for the perception of unfairness. Well, it's, it is very complicated. And, and I think that, you know, you know, given the fact that historically we've had probably thousands of young people traversing the world, uh, working in the horse industries, working on farms, working in horticulture, working in cashiers, uh, working around the world. And they go from season to season around the world. And the last two years have stopped that. So, so we've got this extraordinary environment where what has traditionally come to New Zealand and gone to America and gone to um, Britain and other places, no longer able to do it. So we've got this very significant change in the way our workforces work, which is also putting a lot of challenge on this immigration system. Yeah, because uh, you know, a, lar- a large body of the New Zealand population is offshore and and a lot of them came home or tried to come home and will be trying to come home. Uh, is that going to have an impact on, on how many people from elsewhere in the world we can accommodate given, you know, the cost of living crisis, the housing crisis, everything that's going on at the moment? Um, you know, more people isn't always better when there aren't enough houses to go around. Well, I think I think, in fact, we're going to see the opposite because I think it, it, it looks already, the, the trends are already pretty evident that people are leaving the country, and we've only been freed up for about a month, people are leaving the country as fast as they can. So we're going to see quite a lot of people leave for opportunity overseas at the same time as we're seeing some of the more, more established people who have been overseas for some time coming back to New Zealand because no doubt our way of life and our, our environment and the place, we, the place we live in the world, actually, is, is much better. 
So uh, going back to this South African family, I mean, they've got your your endorsement, basically, and, and your support, I believe, to, to stay in the country. Uh, to what extent can they expect a positive outcome, or is it just in the balance? Well, look, I, I think that this is not the first go um, in this situation, and so I think it's extremely disappointing, and, and all we can do is just keep um, trying, I suppose. And at the end of the day... I don't think they're in any state to be sent home, uh, so I think that, and and that's um, just just not a satisfactory op- uh, option for them. So hopefully we can resolve it. And at the end of the day, the minister does have some discretion on this. At the end of the day, but it doesn't appear to be uh, that keen on using discretion. So we'll just see what happens. I mean, are there any other options after the minister? If the minister of immigration says no. No, I think that's pretty much it. Once you get to that point, that's pretty much it. But we have seen uh, um, some cases resolved. I don't know why we have to go to such length to get them resolved, but we have seen some cases resolved and, and similar sorts of cases to this resolved. So, so that's possible. We are I, here. I, yeah, yes, we are here with MP for Rangitiki, Ian McKelvey. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Um, I, I know it's a bit soon, but have you had a chance to drive down Transmission Gully yet? No, about an uh, um um, very soon, um, <laughs> very soon. So, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be very exciting. And and I heard a person uh, on the radio yesterday morning, uh, as I was walking around Wellington, saying that that um, it took half an hour off his trip in from the Cavity Coast. So, so, and I believe that it's pretty amazing. I also heard that there's still a bit of loose seal on the roads, and a couple of windscreens have uh, come off worse off. So, it might be worth just taking your time there. Well, the windscreens were better off than the poor old copper who drove his car into the safety uh, metal, metal and buried it. <laughs> true, yes, very true. Um, but on, on a more serious note, I mean, this is going to reap dividends for for the Rangitiki electorate in Palmerston North because travel to the capital is going to be so much quicker. Oh, I think it is too much, so much safer as well. And, and much more certain because if you think about the delays that we've had for years from Pycock Riki through, basically through to where the motorway re-hits the um, old uh, Wellington motorway, it's going to be very exciting. And, and when we get the next piece through Otaki open, uh, that will be another massive bonus and that's going to happen, I think, early uh, next year. And then, of course, the um, other one, which isn't started yet, but we're even more significant because we'll take out all those dangerous bridges and, uh, and rail overhead bridges and things like that uh, through, through to north of Finn. Very exciting. And, uh, I mean, when the, 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 the new road over the ranges is complete out to the, the east coast, I mean, we're, we're going to struggle to keep people away. Palmerston North and Manawatu and, and the Rangitiki sort of a, a nice, well-kept secret, Ian. We're letting it out. Yes, we are, but when you think that um, I think Palmerston's been a well-kept secret for a long, long time, and people don't understand how good a place it is till they come there. But, but I do think that that it's just going to make us so more, so much more accessible, and and uh, you know, from a from a, um, a export perspective, given that we're fairly big exporters in the manual too, it's just going to make it so much, um, well, more productive basically. And you know, you think you can get 
um, when this is finished, we'll get two logging trucks to Wellington a day. I know that's not the greatest example, but we'll get two logging trucks a day to Wellington. Pretty amazing. And with the Kiwi Rail Freight Hub, like you say, exporters and, and, and the logistical hub that this area has always been will grow exponentially. That's going to bring bring jobs and, and more workers and hopefully a bit of affluence to the area. Are, are, is, are we prepared for this? I mean, we, there's a lot of infrastructure going in. Um, but 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 not necessarily the sort of the housing and the, the 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 shops and the expansion that you'd expect for what will be quite an influx in the next few years. Well, I think yes, that's possible. But I think when you look at my part of the world and you look at um, Martin Bulls uh, and Fielding in particular, there's there's and Rongatir even. Um, there's quite significant subdivision and, and house building going on in those places, and there's development going on in Martin like there hasn't been for probably 60 or 70 years, the same in Bulls, um, probably at least 70 years. So there's a lot of development and a lot of house building going on, and and the thing that amazes me, and Wanganui, of course, comes into this as well, the thing that amazes me is the traffic between Wanganui and, and Palmas North. Um, I live very close to the Bulls um, Bulls and and the traffic going east to west at, at um, sort of seven in the morning and and five or six at night is amazing. There's a lot of commuting goes on, so we can we pull people from all over the province now. Yeah, it, it's going to be weird, isn't it? That Martin Bulls are going to be part of the commuter belt for Palmerston North. Oh, absolutely, that's right. And Ashes has been, of course, for years, and so so it just adds a whole lot more to it. So are there any gaps in the, you know, you're, you're saying the, the commute to Whanganui and Palmerston North is quite popular. Are there still elements of, of, of vital commuter infrastructure that need to be addressed? Can we get to Taranaki easy enough? Uh, yes, we can. But I think, I think the real infrastructure, and it's not really infrastructure, but I think our public transport, and I know it's expensive, and I know it's difficult for Horizons to, to initiate it, but I think we could do a lot better with public transport and, and I go back to when I was young, which <laughs> sometimes I get asked about because I'm not young anymore. You know, there used to be three buses from Tangimoana a day to Palmerston North. Um, so that's how the, how the public transport stuff's changed. And, and I think that, that we need to look at our public transport. I think there's a whole lot of opportunity if we could do that better. And no doubt there'll be better modes of transport that will enable us to do that in the future. And, and that's led by central government, isn't it? I, I, my hazy memory is that Horizons are sort of subsidised to a certain extent for public transport by central government and then have to find the rest through rates. So to have the significant investment needed for, for example, a bus to Tangimoana, uh, it, it, that's going to have to come from central government. Well, it's got to be demand-driven to some extent as well, and that's one of the problems because until you, it's a bit like the Westpac Stadium in Wellington. You know, until you put it there, you don't know how popular it's going to be. Well, it's not called the Westpac Stadium now anymore. Of course, it's called something else. But, but a lot of these things, you've got to take the risk with them before they, um, for them to actually work. I mean, having said that, the train from Hamilton to Auckland's not a great example of. of doing that. <laughs> no, but the capital connection by extension is, and that seems to be popular and, and is benefiting uh, from the the fee, the fare reduction uh, that the government has announced in response to the petrol prices. Um, should the fares be that all the time? Well, the government's gone down, this government's gone down that line and I mean, I think that's a start, isn't it? It is a, quite a start. So so, yeah, possibly that's right, although I don't know whether we can afford to 
effectively subsidise things for too long. I think we've got to get to a point where where demand drives the um, need for service, and and I know that's difficult, and and there are only some people who will use it, but higher petrol prices, of course, push people in other directions pretty quickly. They do indeed. Um, let's move on. The Prime Minister uh, has a, pub, a primary sector meeting next week, I think, uh, possibly this week. Uh, it's the meeting that Groundswell have decided that they're not going to attend. Um, now, I'm not down with the details, but that seems a little churlish to want a one-on-one meeting when, by and large, the concerns are coming from the same space. Oh, yes, I don't understand the, the politics of that at all. I think it's extraordinary. I think, like, you know, the agricultural sector's got some demands on it, which it's going to have to sort itself. And if it doesn't collectively do that, then we've got big problems. And I think, so there is some challenges for us as an agricultural sector in this as well. And I think that we've got to realise, well, I don't think we've got to realise, I think most of us do realise that, that we've got to make progress and we've got to get things moving in the right direction because if we don't if we do check things up for too long and what I'm talking about here is basically environmental change and things like that if we stop progress with it and and the ETS is an example of this as well but if we don't progress this stuff we're going to get worse and we're going to get further and further behind and we just can't afford to get behind in the world that we live in these days so how do we progress when a large body of the primary sector are not happy with what's happening now Um, I think, yes, it's a, that's a very good question, and I, I do think that's a bit of a challenge, but I also think that um, things change uh, gradually if you, if you do it properly, and I think, I think when we try to rush change, we're inevitably going to get resistance. So we've got to have a roadmap, I know that's a bad word, we've got to have a roadmap in front of us that, that everyone can understand and, and get on the bus when the, when the time's right. And, and I think some of our delays in the past have caused this resistance that's going on now. And to do it again now would be just tragic because we'll end up with the same situation in five years' time or ten years' time and, and, and we'll be further and further behind the rest of the world. So there's a massive opportunity for us, and I think it requires government to lead, but it doesn't require government to um, push uh, too hard. It requires a leadership that people can effectively, as I said, get on the bus uh, junkies of public radio like me will probably have heard an episode or two of Country Calendar on RNZ uh, over the years and that it seems to be perpetually filled with farmers doing really progressive uh, climate change focused sustainable practices saying that they're enjoying it that actually it reaps more rewards than their more traditional models that they were using before and it makes it sound like it's a no-brainer that we should just be getting as far down this route as possible are the the advocates the advocates and the, the 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 protesters that we're seeing in Groundswell and other groups are they predominantly just the old school farmers that don't want to change, or are there actually legitimate concerns within those groups? Oh, I think there's undoubtedly legitimate concerns within those groups, particularly around some of. Uh, what I think is a, is a fraught push around environmental stuff, and, we, and we've actually seen the government having to admit that some of this stuff's impossible to achieve in the manner they've gone about it. So there's certainly legitimate claims about that. And as I said, I think some of the some of the rush that's been put on this stuff by the Labor government is effectively a result of the delays that we've 
either arranged or forced or whatever in the past. And, and so I think we've just got to make a plan and get on with it. And I think the, the challenges for us are that, that, as you said, you see some very good examples on country calendar. I'm fortunate enough to get right around New Zealand and the role I've got. And, and, from, and, and I see some very, very uh, good farmers. And I see, interestingly, most of them are a generation removed from me. <laughs> and so... So I think the younger uh, generation of farmers is certainly on the bus on this stuff and, and moving quite quickly to to um, make sure they've got a place in the world in the future. So are you saying that the, the farming community generally is moving forward but the government is pushing at an unrealistic pace? I think to some extent that's right. Um, the, I, but, well, I certainly the farming industry is moving forward. I think the government is pushing at an unrealistic pace and I think and you've only got to look at things like Overseer, which is the thing that Horizons and all the regional councils in New Zealand have used to measure nitrogen leaching, for example, which has now been found to be an inadequate tool. And so, so they've pushed down this path, but we haven't actually got the tools to fix it. And so they've had to withdraw Overseer, for example, from, from use effectively, leaving the regional councils without a tool and leaving the farmers not really knowing where they're getting to. And so there's some big challenges in this area, and some of it you can easily blame on the fact we haven't put enough money into research and development in the past, and, and it's probably true. So do I'm we... Just looking at some figures, you know. In, in, in 1950, 90% of our income came from um, agriculture. Seventy, I think it's 72% or 73% now. So it hasn't changed much in, in 60 or 70 years. Well, I guess that's the other thing. I mean, do we want to continue to be, uh, well, the primary sector being agriculture uh, and farming, or do we want to move New Zealand away from that over time? Well, we heard a Prime Minister about uh, three or four or five ago say just that. It didn't work and it won't. And I think I think the great thing for us is that we're, we've got a, a climate that's almost unique uh, we've got an environment that's almost unique. We've got a, a biosecurity system that's almost unique because we're so far from everywhere else. So we're, we're absolutely ideally positioned to do a lot of what we do. But certainly there's opportunity for us to diversify the economy. And, of course, we chose tourism as one of those diversity things. And, and unfortunately for us, that stopped. And the other thing, of course, was education, which has also stopped. So two of our biggest alternative forms of income have actually stopped. Mm. They'll, um, come back. They'll come back, no doubt. Well, hopefully. Hopefully they will. Come on, 2022, you can do it. Um, your uh, office is in Fielding. Fielding is arguably one of the biggest townships in, in well, no, Whanganui possibly, uh, in the Rangitiki. But um, the the big news at the moment in Fielding is the potential uh, magic new way of dealing with uh, landfill waste in the form of a pyrolysis plant, um, which, I'll be honest, I don't know a great deal about. But I do know the community are very divided on this. Do you, are, are you uh, allowed an opinion on the matter? Well, I'm certainly um, having, having, I guess, looked at um, waste disposal and spent a bit of time in my earlier days in public life in Australia looking at it. Uh, and, and also I've looked at what goes on in Europe and Switzerland and places like that where they've got some extraordinary um, uh, gear they use. Um, I, I think it's hugely exciting and I think it's a great opportunity and I hope the Council pushes on with it. I think I just think that there's there's very little downside and a massive opportunity for our community. And given that we gave away effectively our waste stream um, in the in the well in the early 2000s, councils or the public waste stream was given away, and I think that's a tragedy. And, and this is an opportunity for us to make some real progress in, in getting control of our waste stream again, which then enables us to deal with 
all sorts of things that, that it's difficult to deal with when it's privately run. So, you, so you're comfortable with the science that's been put forward that says this is basically a magic way to get rid of our uh, waste um, because not everyone would, be, would share that view. Well, I've, yes, I mean, I've got, I've got my own opinion, and, and that's my opinion, but it's based on having had a fairly good look at some stuff around the world, uh, and, and so I, I'm very supportive of it. We spoke to Brent Barrett, the city councillor, uh, Palmerston North city councillor, yesterday. Um, and being, you know, he is a, a Green Party endorsed candidate. He is very interested in climate and sustainability. I think he has submitted to Horizons. And he was talking to this, saying that, you know, some of their claims are questionable, um, particularly around the idea of using the plant to dispose of plastics to draw the oils out of those and then, re, you know, they're talking about creating diesels and fuels to then, you know, go back into to vehicles and the like, creating more emissions. Um, that seems to be a pretty valid point, doesn't it? It's not emission-free. Well, well, yes, but I mean, you've, <laughs> I, think, I, think that, I think it's going to be very difficult for us to ever get to the situation where, we're, where you see all the stuff's around net, um, the emission stuff's all all net. It's not it's not zero, <laughs> and so um, uh, that's an argument that's going to go on for some years. But I just can't see this happening. You see, you can easily argue that we're spending millions of or billions of dollars on importing coal <laughs> to charge up our electric cars. I mean, how mad's that? <laughs> uh, there was one other point that Brent made that I thought was a, a fairly good one in that the presentation from Bioplant with regards to a pyrolysis plant um, outlined the, the science and the statistics uh, that had come from experiments and the like. But these people have been running pyrolysis plants for, I think, almost a decade in some countries and yet provided no sort of statistics or evidence from those real-life plants to back up what they were saying. And, and Brent's point was that surely if these plants are as successful as you say they are on paper, you would be shouting that from the rooftops, and yet they're not doing that. Does that not create a little bit of une- unease with you? Um, no, because I'm not familiar with that part of, this, of the process, but I've certainly seen the results of some of these plants around the world, and I, and I think they can pr- certainly provide that information. I'm, I'm not sure why it's at the state it is now, but um, you know, I'm sure they can provide that information. Very good. Uh, Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, thank you very much for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Pleasure, thank you. And there we go, Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, rounding off the catch-up for this week. Oh, there he is, he's already gone. Um, coming up uh, next week, let's have a look at the diary and see what we've got coming. Uh, Monday, we may or may not have someone on Monday. Uh, we'll have to see how we go. Uh, on Tuesday, hopefully we'll be speaking to a representative of Horizons Regional Council. On Wednesday, Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard will join us to find out what they have been uh, reporting on in the past week or so. On Thursday at half past eight, Mayor Helen Wallboys will join us from Manawatu District Council and on Friday, MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikeri. That's it for the catch-up this week. Join us every day, hopefully, next week at half past eight for more editions. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. 
Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.